Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Better With Headphones. I am your host, Callum McCullough. This episode I am joined by Irish singer-songwriter Stephen Kelly, who is here to discuss his debut solo album, Bad News, Best Forgotten. We also discuss Stephen's band Ragland, recording in California, and issues within the music industry. Stephen's debut solo album is available via the link down below, and always remember to like and share the podcast. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah, I've got you. How are you doing? Nice, good, man. Thanks for having me, Callum. Do you need me to get headphones or am I all right like this? No, you're all right like that, as long as you can hear me. It's all fine. Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear, brother. All right, so how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm glad to be uh, back back in business, you know what I mean? After um, all these years. Well, I was going to say, uh, with you seen your post, you said COVID stopped the Raglan's album. Yeah, well, I was back in Dublin. Uh, we put together the second album we were in the middle of like financing it ourselves and recording it so that we could own it mm-hmm. and uh, and then covid happened and it just made it completely unsustainable because we'd booked some gigs that were going to pay for things and they couldn't happen so we were kind of just left you know in the shit to be honest it's just a, it was just a complete mess for everyone really absolutely we we're all completely unprepared for it right especially people in the music industry like well, a lot of us were making money from playing gigs like wedding gigs corporate gigs type thing and when that when that stream ran out, we were just kind of left fighting against the tide. And it was kind of in all our we all had these hungers to make music and make records. Mm-hmm. And I think the the lockdown kind of pushed us, made us all retreat into our own places and do it ourselves. And that's kind of what's happening at the moment. But like the band isn't dead for or anything. It's just right now we've always liked to operate when we can operate, rather than you know what I mean, making it a constant struggle. Um, so yeah, so that's that's where we're at. Well, I've introduced you, I've got to do an intro after this, so people will have heard Stephen Kelly is on, and you've got a debut album out now. I do indeed. Best News, Best Forgotten, I listened to it the other day, and again this morning when I was very hungover. Nice, nice. I've always a good listen, uh, hungover. But one of the things you messaged me about the other day, I mentioned that I'd lost a close family member last week, and you said... Thank you, thank you. But he said track 10, uh, I've got it written, give it up, get over it and let it go. Yep. And there was one line in that that really got to me. It was like, time's a thief and it steals everyone you know. What were you thinking about when you wrote that song? Well, yeah, well, I've lost uh, my mum about two years ago and uh, that song was kind of directly written after that and trying to like deal with, because like everybody goes through these things in their life, every single person, but everybody has to deal with it their own way and... Luckily for me, I have the uh, therapy of songwriting where I can take those feelings and put them into a song. And uh, that's very helpful to me. And that song is just a kind of a direct reaction to losing someone close to me. So when you told me that you'd gone through something similar, I just felt the the, the need to, to tell you that. So that maybe it would help because it's helped me, you know. Your music is like a good, mo- a good therapy session, really. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's kind of... Uh, been a an indirect result of like being a, a an independent musician you know what i mean i haven't had to dance with the devil of fame and fortune so to speak so i think that's kind of benefited me having being able to put more of my personal experience into the songs rather than just writing a catchy hit for radio or whatever you know yeah the albums i, I do love the album there was one that i was listening to this morning 
And like I said, I was really hungover. I was playing FIFA whilst doing it because that's how I like to, I like to mm. listen to stuff while playing FIFA. And Are you any got, good? Are you any good at FIFA? I've got a good team on Ultimate Team, but I think I'm good because the team's good. I've got Pele, so I'm like, I've got, mm. I've got Pele, so I'm, I'm good now. Uh, okay, well, we'll have to play sometime and we'll see. Oh, uh, yeah, that, don't, that, please don't batter me. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, my favourite song on the album is Taste of Sunrise. Oh, brilliant, nice one. Uh, and for the, the reason I was thinking about it, it reminded me of those 90s films. And the one, the only one I could really think about this morning was 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, great. I used to love that when I was growing up, man. Uh, That's a great one. One of my favourite films. And I could, I, yeah. I could just keep imagining Heath Ledger. Uh, Wolf Alice said with their album, they, they put it with mute, uh, videos and films and that. Did you ever imagine? Would you ever do something like that? Your- oh yeah, it's actually something I'm very interested in because like I consider myself a writer first and foremost, like mm-hmm. and all the other stuff I've had to develop, the singing, the play, and that's taken much longer. But the writing is kind of the stuff that's come naturally to me. Mm-hmm. So I, even in my spare time when I'm not concentrating on music, I'm writing scripts and screenplays and treatments and ideas. And often they have musical backgrounds and ideas because that's my, you know, my main thing. But yeah, no, it's always uh, in my mind when I'm writing something that visually can be um you know corroborated with something visually that you know expands and improves it and working with someone like finn keenan who did all of raglan's videos was a great lesson in how um the visual side of things can really expand upon the the audio side and give it an entirely different uh vision and perspective yeah i think uh once you do it like that and you do so you can listen to someone, well, someone like me, you can listen to it and then you just start imagining. It's like reading a book, you put the images in your head and you just see it in your head like a film. It's just a, a, a lovely way to do it. Did you do all the music? Yeah, well, the way I um, wrote the whole album was during lockdown, I basically was in a single bedroom in Dublin with nowhere to go and nothing to do, no equipment except my guitar and my phone. Mm-hmm. So using the, I think it was the Band Lab app, Mm-hmm. I just started demoing and writing all of the songs. So I'd take an acoustic guitar and I'd put like a bass effect on the acoustic guitar and <laughs> put an electric guitar effect on, the, on it. And then I create a whole, the whole uh, backing track with just the acoustic guitar. So that by the time I broke out of that room and I, I was like, had some more options, some more money, I got some stuff together. Uh, I was able to invest in my own studio to put in my house and I would then re-record, re- rewrite everything, have it all ready. And, and then, because I didn't have a drum kit in my house uh, and like I didn't have a good bass or bass amp, I work with this amazing guy, uh, German. Um, he, his name is German, but he's Argentinian. <laughs> I was confused there. <laughs> Just, Just yeah. Um, and yeah, he, we worked remotely together and he did the bass and the drums and he did a, a, some extra stuff. Uh, and like I, while I wrote all of the parts, there'd be times where I'd say like, "Oh, this would be this would be awesome to have like a a slap bass part on um, mm-hmm. Consequence of Drugs second verse." So I would direct and say, "If you could put something slappy and funky there, you know, when there's parts that I'm not necessarily able to play, I'll I'll uh, direct and say, here, add something a bit cool there.'" Um, but most of it, yeah, I write and play myself. But uh, I, I love collaborating with people who are better at me, better than me at playing, better at me. Mm-hmm making videos um i haven't found many people better than me at writing yet but you know (laughs) (laughs) do you take advice on board quite well like if german said to you i don't think that works but this might work would you take advice absolutely absolutely i i i i love that type of collaboration but i also have a very firm idea of 
what I want, especially for this these first albums. Like I want these to be me, all me, as much as possible, mm-hmm. so that I can demonstrate what I can do to myself first and foremost, and then to people who are interested in the music. Um, so that they know this is Stephen, this is what he is doing, this is what he thinks, this is what he means. Because uh, when you're in a band, even though I wrote the songs, um, it's a democracy. So there's four people, you know, coming up with ideas that end up, you know, changing the course or direction you may have in your head for the song. And I've never wanted to be a, a dictator, especially in a band. If you start a band with people and they're all on board, you know yourself, mm-hmm. like it, it's, a, it's a team. And some bands work well with a dictatorship, but I've never wanted to be a dictator. So um, being a being a solo guy now, like there's only one option but to dictate. So uh, I'm getting used to it. What did the rest of the Raglan boys think of the album? Have they heard it? Yeah, well, I, I haven't heard from Ross yet, but uh, he's busy working on his own new stuff. So uh, I anticipate that he, he'll get back to me soon. But uh, Khan listened to the whole album and he loved it. And... Uh, Mick, our manager, is a big fan of uh, all my music anyway. But the lads, we, we, we've never fallen out. We've always been good buddies. We've always uh, understood the bigger picture of what we experienced together out of nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was no purse strings. There was no sugar daddies. It was just us making music, people liking it, and it took us all around the world. Did you, you recorded in LA, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, with... Um, Jason Wade from Lifehouse. We uh, oh. we were the support band in their European tour, and we became great friends with them. So uh, he invited us out to his giant mansion slash studio in uh, California. So we managed to wrangle ourselves uh, a slot at South by Southwest Festival. So we tied it all in. We did South by Southwest, and then we road tripped all the way to California and recorded uh, the last EP. And it was it was kind of the thing like when I was out there. You're like, uh, I've made it. You know what I mean? This is mm-hmm. this is profit. I I've broke even a long time ago playing big festivals, my own music. Now this is just profit. You know what I mean? I'm really cashing in on this. You know, it's great. <laughs> well, like one of the themes of your uh, new album is kind of like looking back. What I thought, and especially towards the end of the album, it's like you're looking back on people that have gone or not been as close. Mm. Do you look back and like the time in LA, especially since the pandemic started, and just think what a time that was to live your life. Yeah, well, I'm, as I never expected any of this to happen, because like it, it took me until I was on stage at Electric Picnic, the biggest festival in Ireland, playing to like 5,000 people at the 12 o'clock slot on a Saturday morning, which generally is like empty because everyone's hung over from partying yeah. the night before. <laughs> and they're all there singing my songs I'd written in my bedroom. It was only like when I was at that stage that I the, the voice in my head saying, you're shit, mate, you're shit, mate. <laughs> disappeared and I was like well these people think I'm not shit so I guess I'm not shit um and ever since that moment it's been it's been pretty easy for me to just play music write music and be completely uh completely free doing it you know um other than the the financial stuff which I tend not to I tend to kind of move away from that's why with this album I've tried to keep things independent keep things organic because if you move yourself into that rat race of the industry it often leads to disappointment and disillusionment yeah and uh, i just have no time for that because all i care about is writing songs and playing them singing them releasing them touring them uh, and i'll do anything i can to continue to do it because i know that it works for me and it works for other people yes so anyone listening uh, the album is available at maybevagrant.bandcamp.com there will be a link below 
to anyone nice one. It, you can buy it or stream the album. It's not on Spotify. You're not going to put it on Spotify, right? Well, no, uh, and I actually decided this before uh, old Neil Young sings about it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I decided because I find it like as soon as I upload a, like Simpatico or this, any songs to Spotify, I maybe this may just be a personal feeling, but it feels like they immediately lose their value. They're immediately worthless. Um, and I feel like now that I've made it all myself, I own it all myself, I can assign it value by mm -hmm. making it, you know, I'm an independent artist, so I'm not expecting it to be up on the torrent sites anytime soon. So if anybody wants to hear my music, they have to come to the, my website that I set up and they can stream it and listen to it if they like. But if they really like it, they can buy it and it'll be on their phone. And I can continue to make music in the way that I want to, uh, rather than continually submit to uh, forces beyond my control, like the streaming slash organized piracy crowd, you know? Because uh, when you get onto Spotify, what I think someone worked out for in the UK a national living wage for your song to make that it's like five million streams around. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's it. Like it, it um, it's kind of a dog and pony show unless you're a a big artist. So if you actually manage to break your head through and like be able to sustain yourself with your following. Everybody else is just kind of pretending, buying likes, buying streams, buying playlist placements. And I appreciate and I accept that it's uh, the modern way, but I've worked hard for the last year to own this music so that labels can't decide that it goes somewhere and take it away from you. Because Raglan's and my songs created quite a substantial amount of money in synchronization, album sales and touring fees. But being in a band is very expensive. And when you have record labels and stuff, uh, you end up doing deals that don't benefit you as the artist and the songwriter in the long term. Uh, so yeah, I just feel like having learned that from my experience with Raglan's, uh, I can take a little bit more control um, and just provide the music directly to the people who want to hear it rather yeah. than pretend to be a part of the dog and pony show, you know? It's like uh, you talk about the record, do you think about artists like, even big artists like Taylor Swift had the major issue with her label? and the masters so it's just i think everyone just gets sucked in there's just too much money in it and it causes issues in the industry yeah it's interesting she re-recorded her music right so yeah, that she could re-recording it all so she can own it again when i was younger i um i toured and worked with a guy called uh, glenn tilbrook from squeeze the band squeeze mm -hmm. and if you know squeeze like up the junction and cool for cats uh no, I don't Oh, well, they're a great, great UK band. Um, and they'd had massive success in the 80s and 90s and late 70s. But he, even in the 2010, 2009 time, was contemplating re-recording all of his classic hits because the deals that he had done were so onerous that he still wasn't profiting at all from music that was big in America. You know what I mean? It's still big yeah. in America. So it's, it's, a, it's a problem that's been occurring for long times with... Uh, contractual arrangements that artists make maybe without the, the proper uh, wherewithal to know what the long-term implications are but um I, that's why i feel fortunate i feel the music has benefited my stories have benefited from not being uh, rich and famous through music i can be rich and famous other ways but through music i just like being me and being good so far you know you like being you and just doing what you want to do with it which is a great way yeah Exactly. And then to me, it's uh, like having a footprint as a human being, not even as an artist, it's just as a human being. So that when I'm gone, like my story will be told through my songs is mm -hmm. how I see it now, you know?
No, I fully get that. Uh, you've said you're playing a show tonight. I am indeed. I am indeed. Um, I'm singing for my supper. Um, but they've got wind now that uh, I, I'm I'm starting a new job in a, a like a, a resort, an Irish resort, uh, playing music. But they've got wind that I'm a an artist who releases his own music. So uh, they've been asking me to play a lot of my own songs. But yeah, no, it's a it's a covers gig, unfortunately. But needs must when the devil's drive, my friend. Ah, you do need to do it. Are you going to be planning to do more tours and more gigging? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been offered um, a rake of shows, a lot of shows at the end of the year. Um, but I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be uh, prudent with my choices because I would like to play in rooms that are full of people who want to hear the songs rather yeah. than, as I said earlier, do you know what I mean? Go for the perception here's 12 tour dates and two of them are attended well but everybody thinks you're you're doing brilliant you know which is what a, a lot of tours end up being um for bands who aren't you know massive mm-hmm. or well financed and funded um but yeah so it's a few shows in ireland planned for the end of the year uh, and obviously i'd love to come back to um scotland some of my best and most favorite gigs have been in glasgow uh, including with yourself. Oh, that I was going to say. So, people who don't know, we, my band Flying by Mirror, supported Raglan's in 20, 2016, I think it was, about six years ago. Indeed, yeah. Yep. Uh, and we had a great night. It was actually one of our favourite gigs we'd played and we'd listened to years leading up to it, especially with True North coming out because I love Who Knows as a song. Okay. Nice, thanks. One of my, one of my favourite songs I've actually heard. And round the corner from King Tut's where the gig was, our friend Aaron had a flat. So, we said to you guys, come back so I come back for a couple of drinks I think you were packing everything away and someone who wasn't at the gig who lived in that flat heard the buzzer and opened the door and it's just you four guys standing there and they turned around and goes there's four random Irish men turned up at the door and he was very confused about why four random Irish people had turned up at the door and we were like I'm surprised he was confused that was a, a raging party there was loads of people there going crazy I mean, that was a great night Remember the neighbours complained? Yeah, yeah. Quite a was that the night? Was that the night in King Tut's when um, our roadie tuned our guitars wrong for the first song? I didn't know that. I couldn't remember that, did he? It was. It was actually one of the worst moments I ever had playing music live ever because we came out. The place was full. It was like sold out or whatever. And we went, our first song was Natives, and our guitar tech had either tuned one of the guitars or the bass down a half a step in different tuning. And so we're just ready to go on and kick right into our first song. And then as soon as we start, it's the most gross sound. Uh, and in our entire, um, the entire time the band was together, we'd never stopped the song during, ever. And that was the only time we had to stop after 20 seconds and figure out who was out of tune. And I just said to the audience, let's pretend that never happened. And then we just... <laughs> and I guess it worked because you didn't remember, bro. I didn't remember, no. Yeah. That, was, that must be a fun thing, though, because... On stage, at first it was like hor- must be horrifying, but then you can go, okay, we can make this funny, we can make this a joke. Yeah, yeah, you have that initial moment of panic, but I, like I think I I learned on the job when I did my first show in my small hometown in Ireland. We got like five hundred people to buy tickets because you know um, wasn't exactly a, a lot going on in the town, so people were interested. But then after like one song all of the sound went in the building and everybody was kind of just like a blackout and it was like my first proper gig in front of people and it was a disaster but I just had to pick up the guitar and get on the stage and start singing uh, 
dancing in the moonlight by Tim Lizzy and got the whole place singing. So I think on the first night, my first gig for to go that badly, I was kind of uh, prepared in the future for when things did go wrong. But it's still an annoying feeling when you rehearse and you've got something tight as a nut and, and a, an unnecessary technical fault or whatever, human error um, it, it impacts that. But yeah, yeah, you always get over it, especially with the crowd on your side. If people come to see you and they like your music, they're very forgiving, you know? I really like going to gigs and uh, even... Uh, I've seen. I never seen Eminem live, and he was doing Stan, and he messed up the words and asked it to be put back. And seen even seen someone like Eminem mess up, knowing it's live. You don't want to hear direct from an album. Yeah. I've seen a few bands where you see them, and it's just like the press play. So yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I've actually been at a festival with a band playing, and. They had to stop the song because the laptop was malfunctioning, and then the lead singer was like, "Had his guitar on this thing while he's bent over a laptop, like on the stage while the whole festival crowd are standing there watching him Google how to fix the gig." You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That sort of stuff. Like, so we 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 made a choice never to play with backing tracks, like play live and just yeah, make it work, and um, and that was just our choice, so that we never had to deal with those type of technical issues. No, I like that. I like because you're going to see live music, you just want to hear it live. I can mm -hmm. understand, like, if there's a guitar part in it, you really want to hear live, and you might need because some when you're doing the layers of the song, you might want that. Yeah, absolutely. But just do what Foo Fighters did and get three guitarists. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the Frey, when we toured with them, they had an interesting method. They would play to like um, a click track the whole the whole song but they had a keyboard player so that if they did want to extend a song and get the crowd involved the keyboard player would turn the click off and then bring them back into the the backing track later and so they there there are ways around it so that you can still um, have some of that live energy and it's not just uh, 0 to 20 you know following the time pattern um but yeah so but yeah i think generally when you go and you feel that uh unpredictableness of rhythm that can come with a live gig the pushing and the pulling uh, is kind of the appeal to me rather than going to something that's strictly in time because it's all been pre pre-arranged pre-produced and pre-programmed yeah i've been to two festivals where calvin harris is headlined and i'm like i'd rather go first one i went and seen ben howard and elbow instead of the second one it was 1975 mm. that's like i don't like djs just play press and play i've got a, a, a really deep thing in me of hating dance music i don't know why yeah. but i think that's well, yeah unless, unless i'm on a copious amount of drugs i don't really enjoy it very much either, yeah. <laughs> yeah you didn't really need it for like raves uh one other thing was uh maybe vagrant records am i saying that right vagrant maybe vagrant yeah vagrant like uh, almost homeless records maybe you could call it as well <laughs> <laughs> so i've seen your co-founder of it as your own label Yes, indeed. Um, well, it was a result of, like I've explained, you know what I mean, wanting to to have control of the music, own it and distribute it. Um, and having worked with labels in the past, uh, some better and some worse, uh, learning by osmosis, which is how I learn pretty much everything gradually by osmosis. Uh, I feel like I was able to apply a lot of the methods I'd seen these record labels employ either successfully or not employ the things that they've been unsex unsuccessful with. Um, and that, like I said, I'm under no pressure if, 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 if the way I look at it is if my songs were on Spotify, 
in six months, I wouldn't have made 20 quid from them. Whereas if somebody buys the album in the next three months, I'll have made more because they haven't been able to get it on Spotify. They've come and bought the record. Uh, it'll be more profitable, profitable to me personally. Um, and I, like I said, I'm not in it to, to race to the top and compete with, you know, Taylor Swift for streams. I just want the people who like my music to hear it and share it with people organically because since I've, ever since I started in that small town, that's how it's been for me. Yeah, I, I think you're a great songwriter. I, I oh, thank you, Brie. If you go and listen to this album, the lyrics are, there's like themes of growing up, lost, jealousy. Uh, what's the, what was the name of the track? And it's it's completely about jealousy. It's someone's name. Leandra. 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 Yeah, that one. Yeah. I'll listen to well, that's, that. more, that's, more my, that's more of my comedy, uh, the comedy writing. So I love like, Tenacious D and I love the Fly of the Concords, but I also loved, you know, that genre of uh, like pop rock, like my best friend's girlfriend by the cars and is she really going out with him? Yeah. You know, these songs that they're kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, they took my girl, they took my girl songs. Uh, so I just always liked that genre. So it's kind of a tongue in cheek rather than serious, but uh, it's just, you know, catchy and a bit of fun. What did you grow up listening to? Um, the, the first music that really like, affected me would be um like bob dylan um beatles oasis uh these were the, the, the big three for me growing up and then i moved on to like stone roses the libertines arctic monkeys paul simon um they, they would have been the artists and bands that kind of shaped my interest in writing songs mm-hmm. um as well as you know traditional irish music that my family and extended family would sing at the weekends and at parties and just generally that idea of taking a guitar and playing some chords and singing a song and everybody in the room joining in uh that to me is like a great experience and a community feeling and yeah trying to create recreate that with your own songs is a is a difficult thing to do and um i enjoy the the, the process of trying <laughs> is there a song you've listened to that you've went fuck i wish i I could write something like that because I think of Bob Dylan's Don't Think Twice It's All Right. That's my favourite song of all time. You know uh, what I mean? That is beautiful. Has it been a song like or is it that song where you just thought, fuck, I wish I could write that? Um, with Bob Dylan, no, not so much for some reason because his lyrics are, you know, beyond, they're so personally brilliant to him that they're universal if you get me like he's got such a personal vision for his own ideas that everybody's like trying to unlock the codes of his words and um but when it comes to like stuff to really i get really impressed by um like david bowie's music even though i'm not like the biggest fan like my dad's a huge fan i love david bowie but i'm not like a, a giant fan yeah but when i hear songs like uh I think a song I always listen to that I wish I'd written is Sound and Vision by David Bowie. Mm. I don't know why, it's just like uh, the melody and how it's not obvious, but it ends up being like a dance floor filler. It makes you want to get on a dance floor. And uh, I just find when you're able to subvert genres cleverly, um, it's something I try to do, but you know, not as well as someone like David Bowie did so masterfully for so many years. Whereas Bob Dylan's folk music and lyric writing is... Uh, it's something I don't even aspire to. I just enjoy, you know. Ah, oh, that's a good way to be with it. You said subvert, yeah. subverting the genres. If you look at, going back to Raglan's, when you just had your first album, you had digging holes. But it's a that I think that's a complete switch from what Who Knows or True North is. 
Yeah. Um, I would say so. Would you, would you just try anything different? Like, say again, what do you mean? Will you just try anything different? Going, okay, this will be a catchy, like, proper sing-along song with digging holes, especially with the drums in it. Whereas True North and Who Knows are a bit heavier. Did you always want to Yeah, the first that? album with Raglan's, it would have been, like, I'd had the songs completely written, you know what I mean? And then we'd show the lads and we'd come up with the mandolin parts, the drum parts, the bass parts, uh, kind of under my you know, suggestion, oh, I think we should have tribally drums is how I would have articulated it back in those. So we should have tribally drums and we should all be clapping, going, dig it all. And then the mandolin should come in with something really, you know, that's how I would have uh, phrased it back then. I'm, I'm more articulate with it now. Um, but with, with the Again and Again EP, that was a real, um, me, Con and Ross sat in a house in Kerry and we really deconstructed my song ideas uh, and we, like, Who Knows is actually two songs put together, which is interesting. Like, um, the verses of Who Knows had a different chorus from an old song we were jamming around. And then the chorus, Who Knows What the Future Holds, had different verses. And um, I don't know whose idea it was to mix them together. Um, I doubt it was mine. I don't really mix songs together. So I'd imagine it was Con's maybe. And so, yeah, and with True North, um, is actually the only co-write uh, where all the band members wrote a song in Raglan's because I was actually in hospital in that same time. Uh, I got a problem with my throat. And when I came back from the hospital, the guys were in the room jamming that mandolin riff and that jum, jum, jum. And it was pretty awesome. I came in and I was like, oh, great tune. And I went into the other room and I listened to them jam it and wrote the whole song over them jamming in the other room and then came back out. So they actually came up with the music for that one and I wrote the song over the top of it, which had never happened before or after. It was the only time with True North. I was, uh, when we got the gig we use, when DF Concerts contacted us to say, oh, do you want to support Raglan's? We didn't really know who he was worse. We looked up, listened to the music and we instantly fell in love. We actually tried to copy Dick and Ho's drums several times. We wanted to do something like that. Nice. We wanted to do something like that. <laughs> the drum stems, I'll send them over to you. <laughs> I'll say, I love with the, uh, the drummer actually, so. Oh, brilliant. You can get it. But, um, so, we got that gig and then you released the EP and the, the song on it, Claire. Couldn't have came at a worse time for me because I had just been dumped by a girl called Claire. Oh, sorry about that, man. And I was like, fuck these guys. This is not what yeah. I need. <laughs> but oh, thank, you, thank you. Six years later, I can listen to it all fine. Well, but, that's, good. that's good. I'm glad. Six years is a, is a long time to take, so um, she's going to take it, but... Yeah, who knows? Six but, years ago she was. <laughs> <laughs> but Stephen, thank you very much for doing this. I hope okay, my pleasure, man. your show goes well and hope the album goes. Like I say, anyone wants to listen to www.maybevagrant.bandcamp.com. Link will be down below. And I'm going to, I want, I'm going to put one of your songs into this. Absolutely, man. Spread the word. This is what we're doing. I, I've employed the, the best PR person in the world, uh, word of mouth for this album. So uh, anything you do is appreciated. And uh, yeah, it's at the band camp, but also at www.maybevagrant.com, the website. If you just search that, it's all there as well. And including the other releases, we've got four artists that have released uh, tracks this year so far, and we've got lots more. Uh, maybe you boys will be interested in putting a song on our, our store. So please send me on your new work if you are. I can get that done. Absolutely incredible work you're doing with all that. And if Thanks, people man. want to find just you specifically, have you got Twitter, Instagram? 
Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Bree Raglan. Uh, they won't let me change it. Um, at Instagram, I'm at Steve Kelly Songs. And, uh, and I'm at Steve Kelly on um, Facebook as well. And I think you can find me on Spotify as well. There's a few tracks up there, but the, the album won't be up there uh, anytime soon. It'll be just at the website. So the song's going to, I'm going to put in is All the Trouble I've Caused, because that's the one I keep, I keep going back to as well, as well as the Brilliant. Taste the Sunrise. It's but, important to do that one, so thanks. Oh, perfect. Well, have yeah. a great day. Have the best luck with it. And hopefully see you soon. Either we'll come, to, we'll, we'll come to Dublin or... Yeah, I'll be in Glasgow anyway, and we'll, we'll, we'll hit Sucky Hall Street again for some battered Mars bars, yeah? I've never, I've never had one. So well, they're on me. They're on me. I'll wait, for, I'll wait for that moment to have it. Excellent. Perfect. Thank you very much. See you. Nice Thank one.